wow. Okay, so like, I am like extremely excited. I wish you could just like plug into me right now. I feel the energy of joy that's just pouring out of my body that I could even speak to you this morning for just this brief moment. Um, this is uh, a glorious day. Um, I know that like you, um, we have so much to do together. And I'm grateful that you have been prayerful about this as we have been prayerful about this, the mission to reach the lost here, near and far. Um, we have a great opportunity in the near. Uh, it impacts all of our lives. It impacts your lives, it impacts my life. Every day that we get up, the near is very impactful. We've been prayerful about it and now we have a chance to act. Um, so I pray that wherever you find yourself, as you examine your situation, that like me, as I examine myself, that um, we lock arms to this great mission, this great purpose. I believe the scriptures are true. I'm going to be obedient to the scriptures. And the scripture that we're going to use today is Matthew 28 as part of our prayer together as we find out how we can be obedient to this passage. So with that, let's go to God in prayer. Father God, I have so much that I would just pour out. I pour it all out to you, Father, knowing this, that your Holy Spirit is moving amongst the believers here at North Boulevard. Your Spirit is guiding us and it's directing our path, Father. We choose to be obedient to Matthew 28, where you tell us that all authority in heaven and earth has been given to you, Jesus. And through that, Father, we're commanded to go out and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them. Uh, to observe all that you've commanded us. Father, this is a great privilege that we have, um, and uh, you've put us in the right place and time to do exactly that, Father. Our talents, our abilities, you've brought them together for a moment such as this. Father, by faith, we're choosing to act, trusting that your spirit will take us to the right places. Father, thank you for answering this prayer. Thank you for guiding our path. We yield our will to your perfect will as we take on this mission, this continued mission, Father, one that's at the core of who North Boulevard is. In Jesus' most holy name, amen. And thank you, Elder John. I got an email this past, uh, last week, I guess it was, or maybe two weeks ago, from someone in Dallas, Texas, who follows us uh, online, and he said, um, he said, I'd like to make a $500 donation to this campaign that you're doing. Would, would you be willing to accept it? Of course, I told him, no, we don't take money from Dallas. Um, <laughs> I'm bringing that up actually because there's so many of you who are watching online and you're scattered all over not only the country, but we have people from other nations who are watching online. I don't want you to feel left out today in the lesson. I'm not soliciting your money, but I'm telling you I'm going to talk about Rutherford County, which is the county we're in right now, those of us who are physically present. And it is the uh, North Boulevard Church here in Rutherford County that has made the online campus available to you. And so stick with us. This applies to all of us as we talk about this together. In uh, the year 20, 2000, the year 2000, one of our older members, uh, Dick Palmer, gave me a phone call and asked if I would come over to his house. He wanted to share a BLT sandwich with me and give me a gift. By the way, I, I will say it was only one BLT sandwich and there was nothing else with it. And I remember that as much as I remember the gift. Um, <laughs> his daughter, Nancy Webb, I've told her that many times, like, well, that's why he's thin and I'm not. Um, Dick Palmer was from Wilson County, the county just to the north of Rutherford County, but in the late 1930s, he came down here with his very young family and started a produce company in Rutherford County. When the Second World War broke out, Dick Palmer joined the Navy, 
and found himself in the Pacific fighting against the Japanese. He had been a member of the East Main Church of Christ that's also here in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. In 1944, in February, in fact, to be precise, I'll catch you up here. So this is Mr. Palmer in the Navy. On um, February the 5th of 1944, Mr. Palmer received a letter. There was a uh, form letter that was sent to 15 different guys. There was a group of men at the East Main Church of Christ who in 1944, at the height of the Second World War, decided we need to plant a church 1.1 miles down the road near the burgeoning college that at that time was called Tennessee Teachers College. We call it MTSU today, Middle Tennessee State University. They sent Mr. Palmer this letter, which he received while he was on a ship, literally in a battle with the Japanese. Accompanying the letter was a statement that says, your part of serving on the board of trustees for this new church is to send us $1,000. Mr. Palmer enjoyed telling me that story. They did. They raised something in the vicinity of fifteen dollars or $20,000. They bought a couple of lots on Ewing Avenue. So in 1944, they called it the Ewing Avenue Church of Christ. But there were all kinds of shortages, and they were unable to build on those lots. And so it was not until June the 15th of 1947 that they launched, this time on North Tennessee Boulevard, the North Boulevard Church of Christ. So this is our 75th anniversary this year, and actually in the fall we plan to have a celebration of 75 years. I want to tell you something. Mr. Palmer is telling me this story, and he's just reminding me that in 1944, in February of 1944, Fortress Europe had not yet been breached. Adolf Hitler controlled all of Europe. D-Day didn't happen until June. We were in the thick of the battle with the Japanese trying our best to prevent them from capturing Australia. They had captured all of Southeast Asia. They had the Philippines, they had Singapore, they were already in India, the British Empire was collapsing. In 1944, you could not buy steel in the U.S. It was all going to the war efforts. In 1944, you could not buy rubber in the U.S. It was all going to the war effort. You had to have ration cards to buy flour or to get gasoline. Inflation was incredible in 1944. There was a labor shortage in 1944. There was a supply chain issue in 1944. And these 15 bravados at the East Main Church of Christ said, we think this would be a perfect time to start a church one mile down the road. I mean, I just want you to think about that for a moment. That's why we say this was, you don't have to agree with this, I happen to think it's true, the greatest generation because they weren't afraid of that. They just looked down the road and said, it's time to start a church down there. The university is growing. There are students there who don't know Jesus. They're lost. Here's what they said. Remember in 1944, students didn't drive. They, most of them didn't have cars. They said, it, well, it takes too long to walk a mile down to East Main because that's how far it was from the university. So let's just put a school right next to the campus and that way we'll reach more people for Jesus. So Mr. Palmer met with me. By the way, this is Mr. Palmer. Um, you see a little bit. I, I just hate to, I mean, I don't, I don't hate to say this, but I hope you take this the right way. These men had swag. <laughs> this is swag. These are the 15 trustees on the very first day, and they had swag, and they were not afraid of anything when it came to the gospel. He met with me because he wanted to give me the original minutes 
I see Charlie uh, Pig sitting out here. Charlie kept minutes for the church at North Boulevard for I don't know how many years, Charlie, 15 years at least, maybe more than that. These are the original minutes. And you see they start on February 14th, 1944. He wanted to give them to me and he wanted to just tell me, and now as an older man, he wanted to say, I'm really proud of what we did when we started North Boulevard. And here's, there, here were his words. Um, he said, we didn't know it at the time, but starting North Boulevard was one of the best things we ever did. And I've thought about that. Nancy Webb, married to Bob Webb, who was an elder here for years, he started North Boulevard for his daughter, who also raised her children at North Boulevard, some of whom who live here are raising their children at North Boulevard and their children at North Boulevard. In other words, they were willing to take this extraordinary risk, not for themselves, but they were thinking about future generations. And 75 years later, I can tell you, we've had thousands of baptisms. We've had 700 baptisms in the last eight years, just here. We've planted more than 500 churches. How many marriages have come out of North Boulevard? How many kids have been raised in our children's ministry? How many meals have been cooked for people? How many disasters have been served by members here? Think of all the blessings God has given to us and that he's used us to give to others because these 15 audacious, swaggered men said, we can do this. What's a little labor shortage, a little interest, and a little supply chain, and what's a war with Adolf Hitler and Emperor Hirohito? Not going to stop us. Since North Boulevard, a lot's been done. I just want to share this 20-second clip. So we've had a group that's been in Sierra Leone with our disciple-making movements, and Glenn's going to say hello to you. I'm, there's a point for me showing you this. So, Hello, but, I'm Glenn Robin. I'm standing here with Joseph and Simeon and Raymond. These are church planters in the city of Conakry D., and we're visiting them today. God has blessed the church here with several VBS studies, with four young churches, and even young church planters who are about to be baptized. My friend Joseph is about to be baptized soon. God bless you. Okay, did you hear what he said? I'm standing here with three church planters, and my friend here is about to be baptized. You know why he said that? Because over there, when you baptize them, within two or three weeks, they're planting a church. That's why we want to be part of that global south, that disciple-making movement thing that God is doing across Africa, the Middle East, the Indian subcontinent, Southeast Asia, and China. Because right now, God is doing fantastic miracles there, and we want to be part of it. And what I'm arguing with you this day, not arguing, what I'm presenting, I hope I'm not arguing, what I'm presenting to you today, the argument that I prepared, that's a terrible way to say that. That's what you say when you grow up with brothers, actually. What I'm arguing about... Um, is that we're living in a perfect storm. Inflation, I don't know what it was last year, was it 6% or 7%, whatever it was. There is a labor shortage. The supply chain is out of whack, in case you hadn't noticed. Uh, you know, it's probably a good week to get toilet paper again. And there's a little thing I like to call a pandemic raging right now. And that's why this is the perfect time for us to go out there and make disciples. And in order to help you see that, I'm going to take us back to Hebrews 11. I'm going to tell the story very quickly out of Hebrews 11 of Abraham and Sarah and how their ordinary faith became extraordinary and converted them into the ancestors of all who would call themselves people of faith thereafter. Hebrews 11, let me read it, make a comment, and then I'm going to draw my lesson. Verse 8, 
By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to a city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. Just to help you get the story of Abraham, he and Sarah left the most sophisticated city on planet Earth, the city of Ur. You are. It was a city that was spectacular in Abraham's day. This is from the end of the third millennium. Fellows, it's locked up again. Somebody's going to help me out up there, right? This is, one, this is a reconstruction of just one of the buildings. It's called a ziggurat there. Abraham literally traveled hundreds of miles from Ur to a land that he had never seen before. I'm showing you here a photograph that some of us took when we were at Bethel several years ago, and it's romanticized looking. But when Abraham got there, it was totally strange to him. And he didn't even leave his city until he was 75 years old. So as a 75-year-old man, he's told by God, I want you to leave your land, and I want you to go live in a tent. Abraham lived in a tent for a hundred years from his 75th birthday until he died at the age of 175. He lived as a Bedouin. And the message I want you to see, Abraham is called father of the faithful in the Bible. You would never have heard of Abraham if he had not had this level of faith. The first thing I want you to see in Abraham's life is that he was willing to put God's mission ahead of his comforts. I've said this before. I'm going to say it again. I really do believe this. You can, guys, this is true for every one of us. Athletes, remember this. Those of you who've been to medical school, you already know this. Those of you who are small business owners, you know this. If you want to excel where you are in school, you know this. Here are your choices. You can have comfort or you can have awesome, but you can't have both. You get to pick which one it is. If we want to be comfortable, let's remain comfortable. But I do remind you, comfortable churches are dying churches. Because there's no such thing as standing still in church. You're either winning or you're losing, but you're never standing still. So Abraham was successful in his extraordinary faith because he was willing to give up his comfort. Verses 11 and 12. By faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars of the sky and countless as the sand on the seashore. The way the Hebrew writer puts it, because Sarah and Abraham believed God's promise that he would make a great nation through them, even though they had no children, because they believed at the age of 90, nine zero, Sarah got pregnant and had a baby. And Abraham was 100 years old. That is, when God said, I'm going to make a nation through you, and he said it to two people who did not have a child, the fact that they were willing to believe that he'll provide whatever he promises resulted in the birth of a baby. Let me read these. Now, depending on what day you ask me, because my memory is not real good, I'm likely to tell you these are my favorite verses. I didn't say that last week when somebody asked me what my favorite verse was because I was thinking about something else. These are some of the sweetest verses in the Bible. Listen to this, verse 13. All these people were still living by faith when they died. 
They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they're looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. And therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God because He has prepared a city for them. Abraham and Sarah were willing to sojourn on a promise, looking for something better, to wander as the romantic paintings depict, to wander expecting that somewhere down the line, God was going to give them something so permanent and so phenomenal that it would beat anything Ur had ever given them. And by the way, because the New Testament speaks of the coming of heaven as the new Jerusalem, In a sense, God's promise to Abraham was eternal. That is, he still gets the land of promise and that forever. Abraham and Sarah kept pushing for a vision that was ahead of them. They never really settled down here because they knew God had something bigger in store. And I'm going to wrap up with these verses, starting at verse 17. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who embraced the promise was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it's through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. For Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. So in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. Abraham took his young son, teenager, I don't know how old he was, to Mount Moriah, upon which now the Dome of the Rock actually sits. And there he lifted a dagger at the point of willingness to sacrifice his son of promise simply because God said to do it. And because he was willing to make that sacrifice, God stayed his hand. And he said to Abraham, now I know who you are. You know what? In another sense, you might have said, now, Abraham, now you know who you are too. Now you know who you are. And it's because Abraham was willing to make a sacrifice for the things of God that we call Abraham what? The father of all who are faithful. Maybe an ordinary man. You know, the Jewish rabbi said of Abraham, you know what the Jewish rabbi said Abraham did when he lived in Ur of the Chaldees before he left and came out to the land of Canaan? You know what the legend says Abraham did for a living? He made idols to the moon god. That was his 75-year profession growing up in Ur until the one true God called him and said, hey, wait a minute, I got something else planned for you. And that ordinary man became extraordinary, legendary, the father of all who want to be faithful because of these extraordinary risks, the swagger, the willingness to say, yeah, it's not a good time. But when is a good time? This is who we are. This is what we do. So we are in the middle of what we're calling our New Day Vision Giving Campaign. Last week, Steve Flat spoke to us, and I, just, I was at West Campus for both services at West Campus. And as I was there, I just kept thinking, is there any church on planet Earth that can have a campaign, a giving campaign led by a CEO of a publicly traded corporation who can get up and say, I've preached for 50 years. Do you all know any other church that can say, yeah, we've got that guy right here? Steve's been leading us in it, but a lot of people have already really participated and actually given quite a bit. I'll talk about it in just a moment. We're trying to raise $5 million 
for disciple making here in Rutherford County, near in the U.S., and then clear on the other side of the earth in the, what we're calling Global South. We started it two years ago, and COVID put it on hold. Two years ago, we were preaching through the book of Acts, and so we let this be our theme text. I want you to see just real quickly how we got our theme. So Jesus' final words in the book of Acts before he ascends to heaven are these. Remain in Jerusalem, and you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you'll be my witnesses here in Jerusalem, near in Judea and Samaria, and then he says, to the ends of the earth. So the $5 million that we want to raise is broken down far, that is $1.3 million going to the global south disciple-making movements we've been working with since 2018. Through these partnerships, we have seen the planting of over 500 churches, a church a day now. This money not only doubles that amount, it goes more than doubling the amount, meaning that thousands of people will come to Jesus. And this is, I just, we just need to say this, thousands of Muslims will say yes to their King Jesus because of what you're doing. I was in Sierra Leone a couple of years ago, and one of the converted Muslims said this to me. This won't play well online, and if this clip makes it on Twitter, it'll probably sound terrible, so just don't put it out there. You know what he said to me? He said, you Americans, you're bombing Muslims because of terrorism. Wouldn't it be better for you to witness Jesus to them and convert them to Christ? That's what you're doing. And we're, we're bringing the gospel to them near. This includes $300,000 for planting two or three churches in the U.S. I want you to know, we already have, I don't know the exact number, we have at least this much already designated, so it will double the amount we have for planting domestic churches. And the one I want to talk about today, $3.4 million going towards the building of a permanent location, permanent building, I should say, for our West Campus. I told you I was there last week and got to see Steve preach. By the way, it is still amazing to me how seamless it is for someone to be on the screen. You don't even notice it anymore. Matter of fact, I was told not too long after we started the West Campus, typically I'm on the West Campus screen. I'm the one they're watching because I'm the senior preacher for both campuses. But not too long after West Campus started, someone came down to the front after one of those services and asked to meet me. And someone said, well, he's not here. And they said, well, I just sat and watched him preach the whole time, not realizing I was on the screen. I'm not actually there. That's how seamless it is. That it's actually been very successful. The West Campus has bucked all odds. So statistically, the average church in America has lost about 25% of its attendance through the last two years. Now, some of them may come back. East Campus, so right now, those of you who are online, we're at the East Campus. Our attendance is, about, is down by about 25%. The West Campus is not only not down, they're up 25% the last two years. In fact, they had to start a second service. They have two services now at West Campus. 11 people were at the starting point, the last starting point I asked about, which is maybe a month or so ago. They started five new small groups because the numbers keep growing. They baptized scores of people at the West Campus. When I was sitting there, I looked around. I cannot tell you how many children. There were children everywhere, all over the place. And I just looked around and I thought to myself, one day we're going to be like Dick Palmer. We're going to be saying, you know what? That's one of the best things we ever did. And I want to help you see why it matters. Those of you who are online, just Google Rutherford County, Tennessee. 
Those of you who live in Rutherford County, let me tell you what you already know. In 1990, our population was 119,000. How many of you who live in Rutherford County, so those of you online, this won't mean too much to you, but it's really short. How many of you remember, and when I moved here in 1992, we would go to Demesis for lunch, and you would stop and have to shake hands with every single person in the restaurant because you knew them all. I knew everybody. You can go to a restaurant now. I mean, like I could drink hard liquor and nobody would know because nobody knows me. I might, I might test you on that. I'm just, I mean, I, I actually wouldn't enjoy it. I would just be doing it for your sake so that you could test me on that. I'm saying the county is exploding. 2,183, 2010, 263, 2021. This last year, 347,000 people. We've had a 31% increase in our county just in the last 10 years. The fastest growing city in the state of Tennessee. Here are the fastest growing cities in every state. Murfreesboro, look at some of the headlines from the last year or two. Rutherford County's population will double in 20 years. On track to become the third largest. We're going to surpass Chattanooga in the next 15 years in Rutherford County. Murfreesboro will. More than half of our population is on the west side of the city. 75% of new housing permits on the west side of the city. The west side of the city has some of the fastest growing communities. Blackman, exactly where we're building this building. 840, a magnet for growth. Uh, the gateway of growth in Tennessee, Interstate 840, which is visible from our property. Vanderbilt's Hospital going in across the street from our property. Tennessee Orthopedic Alliance, TOA, opening a facility across the street from our property. Publix opening a facility across the street from our property. If you just drive in the west part of the county, everywhere you go, it's construction, it's apartments, it's new developments. It's insane how much is going on out there. And so what I want to tell you is, it's right for us to go. This is the time for us to go, except you might even say, we're 10 years too late in so many ways. Let me show you this. This is actually hard to visualize on the screen. I get it. We went to the county and asked them to give us uh, these, these, this GIS, this 20,000-foot overview of the property. This is the property we purchased just under 19 acres. This is Burnt Knob Road. If you'll notice... There's no Veterans Parkway at this point in 1987 and no I-840. So in 1987, at 20,000 feet, I counted about 35 houses in this view. I counted about 35. Fast forward now to the year 2021. I can't count all the houses, the interstate, veterans. When you just look at what's happened, you realize it's time, guys. And I want to say this. Our churches have not kept up with the population out there. 25 years ago, there were 52 churches of Christ in Rutherford County. You know how many there are today? The population has doubled. You know how many churches of Christ there are in Rutherford County today? 52 25 years ago. You know how many there are today? 47. We're shrinking. We're not growing. We're losing churches. And the same is true for all churches. There are 267 congregations that we can count in Rutherford County. Even if we're off by, the, by 25, which I don't think we are, there are not that many churches in a county of 347,000 people. In fact, if you want to do the math on it, assuming each building will hold 200 people, we only have seats for 53,000 people in a county of 347,000 people, meaning that if everybody went to church in Rutherford County this Sunday, 293,000 or 84% of them would not have a seat. Put that another way. 
More than 75% of our county is not in church right now. That means Rutherford County is a mission field in spite of the fact that we are one of the most churched counties in the USA. There are lots of lost people here. And if we plan to go to the Global South, if we plan to go to Clarksville or somewhere in Tennessee or somewhere up in Ohio, and we don't plan to evangelize our own county, well, that's a bad mistake. It's just a bad mistake. So we plan to build a building. I want to address this question. I want to say before I get, I'm about to get in some technicals. Let me just say this. I'm a preacher. Preachers puff things up. Preachers and numbers don't go well together. Preachers and money really, really don't go well together. So I'm going to give you the best I have, and then you'll know it's an approximate. Let me say this. We could continue to rent. Right now, we rent the Ag Center. The parts of the Ag Center are under the state of Tennessee and part are under Rutherford County. The Ag Center has been uber, uber good to North Boulevard. If you work for the Ag Center or know somebody with the Ag Center, nobody on the board, somebody on the board, you tell them we love them. They've been really good to us, very generous to us. No complaints, only praise for them. But we're running out of space. They already have two services and we can't fit everybody, everybody in. We're running out of space. Also, we only get the center on Sundays and on Wednesday nights. So we actually can't have much of a Sunday school. There's no meals on wheels. There's no CR. There are no ministries throughout the week. We just don't have the facilities except for on those limited places. There's just, it, it leaves us unable at the West Campus to do a lot of the things that make a church a home. And I want to say this, the idealist in me wishes we didn't have to build or invest in real estate. But in America, it just appears you do. House church movements aren't working in America, not yet. One day they will. When they do, we want to be on it. But right now, Americans think in terms of buildings. They just do. And so, it communicates permanency. The first day we open, we hope to open the building in December of 2023. The first day we open, you guys know we'll have 600 people show up. Easily 600. And then, I don't want to make too much of this. I don't want to wake any sleeping dogs. But y'all know what's happening in America, right? And you know that at any moment, public facilities will be closed to churches. And we could be any moment one week away from being told, your lease is up. It's over. And no schools are available as well. If you don't think that can happen in Rutherford County, you haven't been paying attention. It's happening all around the country right now. And we want to be ready for that. And so the New Day campaign includes $3.4 million to help build a building, this being sort of a drawing of that. Now, I'm going to show you the cost breakdown in very general terms. And I'm going to say, again, two things. First of all, preachers and money just don't mix. So you may have money questions after this. I hope you do, because it'll mean you're paying attention and you care. You can ask me any financial question you want, and I will say, ask Ray, because Ray knows and I don't. Right now, we have a team that's been working on this for about four years. Ray Holland leads that, leads that team. Ray is a professional, licensed civil engineer who has 40 years of experience. Throughout his career, Ray has overseen construction and capital campaigns, building projects in excess of eight billion dollars. That's B, billion. Ray is a full-time staff member at North Boulevard who has never taken a salary. He's doing this because he cares about us and he believes. 
Ray's paying attention to the numbers. Ray's paying attention to the construction. He's dealing with the contractors. I'm not. So, you, again, feel free to ask me any question you want, but I'm going to tell you ask Ray. And Ray's team gave me the numbers, and I said to them, even, they gave me very good spreadsheets, very good data. I said, okay, break it down so even a preacher can understand it. And that's what I'm going to show you. Even a preacher can understand this. These are cost estimates. I'm not making a contract with you when I go over these numbers. These aren't oaths and promises, and no one's going to cut themselves and sign it in blood. Not yet. These are estimates, best estimates from our engineers. The land, the cost of the land, 1.6 million. We've already paid that off with money that's already been given towards this campaign. Site and infrastructure, this is not in the city limits, so we'll have to do sewer, septic, I should say, not sewer. Uh, there's drainage, there are road improvements that'll have to be done. There's uh, electric and water, grading and all this. We're not sure about the cost, but this is what the engineers are guessing right now. The actual engineering construction of the uh, building, around 5.7 million. I didn't call out 2.4. And then the furniture, fixtures, the equipment, sound systems, a few extras, playgrounds, a steeple and all. Some of that can be played with if we need to. 1.4 million for a total price tag of this building at somewhere around 11.1 million. Again, we're facing construction shortages, uh, labor shortages, and inflation. We don't know what it's going to cost. We haven't put things out to bid yet. This is our best estimate. It could come in lower, but if you live in Rutherford County, you probably know that may not happen. <laughs> it could also come in higher. We'll see. We hope to be in it within about 18 months. Let me show you how we plan to finance the West Building. First of all, we've had members at both campuses who just said we want to give towards the building, not part of anything else. We just want to give. So far, people have just said, here's $120,000. So we just set the money aside because people ask, would you put this towards the building? We live on a 48-week budget at North Boulevard, and our fifth Sundays have been used for debt service or special projects for years. Setting aside the fifth Sundays over the last two years, we've saved $580,000. That will go towards the construction as well. Should the campaign come through at the $5 million that we're asking for, we'll have $3.4 million from the campaign. In addition to that, through the pandemic, we just haven't spent as much as we thought we would spend. People can't do as much. And you've been incredibly generous. So we actually have more than $2 million in cash reserves. We didn't plan to save, but there it is. So $1.9 million of that will go to the building, meaning that, assuming the campaign raises $5 million, we should have about $6 million cash to pay towards this building, meaning that we will have to mortgage 5.1 million or possibly more. Now I want to show you how we would pay for this debt service. Services debt, I should say. If the amount mortgage is 5.1 million, we've already signed a deal with Wilson Bank and Trust for a 10-year fixed loan at 2.95% interest. We have up to 25 years to amortize, but it has to be renegotiated. The rate does after the first 10 years. Those of you who do construction, you understand all this. I've told you everything I understand about it now. That means that our annual debt service will be around just under $290,000. Last year, our fifth Sunday offerings were just over $325,000. What I'm telling you is, unless things radically change, our fifth Sunday contributions will service this debt, meaning that it won't affect our operations at all because we already live on a 48-week 
uh, budget, not a 52-week budget. So it appears that we can build the building, pay the mortgage, and not change anything else. And that's really good news. I can tell you there are a whole lot of churches that wish they could say that right now. When I saw the $11.1 million price tag, I have to tell you, as somebody who doesn't pay attention to those things, it floored me. And when I say it floored me, I mean, I had to get up off the floor. I was a little surprised that anything could cost that much. So I started thinking, okay, I have part of my job is to get up here and explain that to you guys, and I'm a preacher. So I went on, by the way, this says the source is Mavoto, but it's not. It's actually Daily News Journal. I just didn't change that out from a different slide. So I went to the Daily News Journal. I was looking in 2019, Rutherford County projected a half a billion, almost half a billion dollars worth of construction for schools in Rutherford County over the next six years. That's because we get a thousand new students in the county every single year. And I just started thinking, how much do we spend on schools? Now, we have an architect here, engineer, who does schools for Rutherford County, sitting right over here to my right, Charlie Pig. We've planned a middle school for Christiana, middle school for the Franklin Road 840 area, middle school for Walter Hill, that's not far from where I live, a high school on Franklin Road in 840. And I started asking people, how much do you think that we're going to pay for these things? So just take this one. How much do you think the county has budgeted for a middle school in Christiana? And people are saying, I bet it's $12 million, $15 million. Actually, no, it's $69.3 million. And for the middle school on Franklin Road, it's $55 million. And these are 2019 numbers, meaning that, Charlie, is a really decent chance that it's gone up since 2019. Would you say? Possibly. The middle school at Walter Hill, $57 million. How much do you think has been budgeted for the Franklin Road High School? $108 million. To put that in perspective, when Rockville opened, it cost $71 million. What I'm trying to say to you is, it is expensive. And if you haven't looked around, everything in Rutherford County has suddenly become very expensive. In fact, the average home price in Rutherford County, in the 37128 zip code has gone up since 2020 by 19%. In my zip code, 29, 32%. In the Smyrna area, up 9.5%. Houses in Rutherford County, the median price of a house in November of 2020 was 359000 The same house 12 months later sells now for 13% more. And as I've let these numbers out, we've talked about these numbers, everybody's telling me stories about, oh yeah, we put our house on the market and had 17 offers in 48 hours. This happened to a family member of mine who's moving to Murfreesboro. They found out a house was uh, going on the market over at, uh, at the golf course, Indian Hills. The, the house was listed on a Thursday morning. When they got there, two offers had already been made. They drove the minute they saw the listing, and two offers were already on the table by the time they got there. I'm just suggesting it's very expensive right now. And we're figuring that the cost that we used to have is probably increased by 17, 18, 19, 20%. The numbers I've given you include some of those increases. But I want to say, if we wait, do we think the price will go down? I mean, if we say, let's wait another two years, let's wait till the pandemic's over, let's wait and see what happens in the Ukraine, let's wait and see if the stock market crashes, let's wait till the supply chain is fixed. There's no reason to think. If those souls matter, then it's no reason to say, let's stop.
Let's just go forward. And there are some good questions. I don't want to blow these questions off. In fact, if you'll go to our website, you'll see a lot of these questions are addressed there. But can I just say a few things? It's a fair question. Why is East helping to build a building for West? And I just want to remind you again, we're just one church. There's one eldership. There's one checkbook. There's one budget. In fact, West Campus for eight years has given more money than they've spent, meaning that West Campus has been paying the electric bill at East Campus for eight years. All the money just goes into one pool. We're one church, one eldership, and we plan to stay that way. Someone will say, why don't we just do house churches? This is so expensive. And the answer is it's very expensive. But the truth is, house churches have not caught on in America. That's why you're not sitting in a house church right now. Because you know that they're not working well in America. They work in China, great. They will work here one day, but not yet. We've, we've planted five house churches and put good money into them. America's not ready for it yet. I've had people say to me, why don't you just direct people to go to the empty church buildings that are already scattered all over the county? Don't take me wrong when I say this, but the answer is you already have that choice and you said no thank you. That's why you're sitting here. There's a reason those buildings are empty. And what we want to do is say, well, while the hand of God's blessing is on us, we want to multiply. Some will say, should we build during a pandemic? And the answer is, I don't know. Only God knows. But there's no reason to think that the cost is going to go down if we wait. And the souls are at risk whether there's a pandemic or not. Abraham could have given all kinds of reasons. Dick Palmer could have said, not in the middle of war, guys. I'm fighting the Japanese. Could you just hold off a little bit? But the answer was, nah. There's never a bad time to make disciples. Never a bad time. And then this one, that's a good question. We're building a 23,000 square foot building that has a 500 seat auditorium. And I've already been asked, is it big enough? Well, two things. First of all, we will start with two services out there. So they'll start with two services. But second, our engineers and their brilliance have designed a building with this 500 seat auditorium so that when we're ready, it just flips over and becomes a thousand foot auditorium. It'll be spec for that. Uh, all the, the utilities will be laid out in preparation for that. Again, if you have questions, remember I'm just the preacher. I'm, I'm not trying to disown it. I believe in this. Like, I not only believe in this, I'm already given to it. Julie and I have pledged the largest pledge we've ever made to anything for this. I'm in. I'm not trying to disown it. I'm just saying it is the case that I'm a preacher. I don't know numbers very well. So if you ask me questions, I'm going to ratchet it somewhere I think who does know. But I believe in this. If you have questions, go to the banner on our website, and there's all kinds of answers there. If you want more about the building, Ray and his team will have an informational meeting about the building Monday night, February 21. We'll give you more information about that as we get closer to it. So the New Day Vision, we're asking the church to give $5 million, $3.4 million of it to go to the West Campus. And I do want to tell you this. More than half of the donations have already been given. I don't mean pledged. I mean we actually have the cash in hand. That's why we could go on and build, pay off the land because the money's already in hand. But I am aware that we stopped the campaign before some of you had the opportunity to make your pledge. And so if you've been waiting to make your pledge, it's time. On March the 13th, we'll ask everyone to write down the amount that you would be willing to give over the course of the next three years. So we're not asking you to give it on the 13th. We're just asking you to say over the next three years, this is the amount I'm willing to give. And then God willing on March the 20th, we'll announce that number. 
And that afternoon, we're going to break ground, God willing, on that new property. I just go back to Abraham one last time. Abraham put God's mission ahead of his comfort. That's why he's the father of all who are faithful. He trusted that God would provide. He kept pushing towards the future, and he made a sacrifice for the things of God. Or to put it this way, ask God what does he want us to do. I'm just going to wrap this up. My dad, who's pushing 85, is now in the nursing home. This is Julie visiting with Daddy. She loves him and he loves her. Every time I go see Daddy, you know what he wants to talk about? Daddy, Daddy was an, he retired as an HR executive for a company in Nashville. He worked his way up from the very bottom of the company to become the HR director. Every time I visit him, he lists all the people that he got to help as HR director. Guys who didn't have insurance that he helped him get insurance, people who had surgeries that he helped them with, people who would, who would have been fired and he helped mentor them to save their job. That's what my dad's most proud of is all the good stuff he did. You know what I realize he's doing? Daddy's looking back on his life and he's trying to decide, did I live a good life? Sorry, I get choked up thinking about it because you couldn't have had a better dad. But he's looking back and he's asking, did I live a good life? And I look back on Mr. Palmer. When he called me in and gave me this, he was saying, I think I lived a good life. And one day you'll be sitting in a rocking chair and you're going to be looking back. And I hope you can look back and say, you know what? My church did some awesome things. It was a good life. You pray about that. Let's stand up and sing.